You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 25. This week, we will start by discussing a mixed bag of topics, including the U.S. Federal Reserve's likely decision to raise rates this coming week, and this Friday's sell-off in big tech. We will also touch on our most recent DIY investing seminars. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a question from a listener about a true microcap stock called Medical Marijuana Inc., MJNA is its symbol on the OTC pink sheets, which is building a portfolio of investments companies in the marijuana sector. We say whether or not it is a buy at present. Our star of the week is from Keystone's active coverage, Sandvine Corporation, SVC on the TSX, a network equipment company which jumped 23% this past week after it was subject to a takeover bid. Our dog of the week is New York Stock Exchange listed IDT Corporation, symbol IDT, which lost 21% in one day this past week after the company reported revenue growth, but the business swung to a loss in its third quarter, which was hit by a large charge for a legal settlement. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Keystocks, and on Facebook. Now let's dig into the show. I would again like to welcome my co-host, Keystone's Senior Equity Analyst, a father of one, and a man who was inspired by the proposed NDP Green Minority Government in BC. He's so inspired that he's partnered with the raccoon that lives behind Keystone's head office in an effort to form a leadership group to run Keystone itself. Unfortunately, his agenda will now be dictated by that said raccoon, Mr. Aaron Dunn. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Doing very well. Just good, coming good. off. It's been a while. It's, it, it feels like it's been a little while since we, we've done a, co- a podcast. Yeah. We, we've been busy the last couple of weeks. We have been on tour, so to speak. Uh, we've had a the we, cross-country tour. Yeah, it was, uh, we got in our Winnebago and went across the country and uh, hit dates in Vancouver, Kamloops, Victoria, Edmonton, Calgary, and Toronto. But all kidding aside, uh, it was uh, we were very pleased with the crowds that we saw over the past two weeks at our do-it-yourself investment seminars. And if you came out to those, you're listening today. We thank you. We uh, loved meeting with everybody in all those cities. We had great crowds, great people, and uh, I think the events went off uh, quite well. Yeah, and just for anybody who's not familiar with what we were doing, the the DIY investor conferences. The whole idea behind that is to is to help arm individual investors with some some basic strategies and some basic tools so that they can they can look at at um, individual stocks, individual investments on their own and learn to learn to identify good opportunities, but perhaps even more important than that, learn to avoid obvious risk. And that, the feedback that we've gotten was great. And if you didn't get a chance to come and see us, then don't worry because we're going to be doing we're going to be doing lots of them in the future. So you will get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, we're actually planning uh, for mid or fall in mid to late September to um, come out with some new seminars, uh, new series of seminars and topics will include 
strategies for Canadian investors looking to buy U.S. stocks and what type of U.S. stocks and how many to buy. So if you've got any topics, any of the listeners out there that you'd like us to discuss at these seminars, feel free to tweet or email or post it on Facebook. Uh, we'll take any of your suggestions and uh, see if we can work them into the uh, upcoming seminars. You know, Ryan, I've, I've, I've talked to, of course, the, as you know, the reason why we love doing this, one of the reasons why we love it is because we just the interaction with, yes, with individual investors yeah. to just hear the feedback. What, what, what are they thinking when they look at stocks? What are, you know, some of their, their fears and, and trepidations, but some of the feedback that I've gotten specifically on a segment that you did is, has, has been fantastic. So, um, what Ryan did is there, there's a segment at the end where Ryan essentially, um, very quickly provides, provides viewers, provides the attendees with a, a five step plan, a five step criteria for, taking a, a hot stock tip. So if somebody, a, a friend at work or a cab driver who, whatever it is, says, this is a hot stock that you as an investor should buy, Ryan, very quickly in about a 10, 10 15 minute segment of, of the seminar, arms investors with tools so that anybody can basically look at that stock tip and determine whether or not it's, it's a bad idea or you know potentially if it's, if it's a good idea. So I've talked to a couple people that have attended over the last few weeks, and they've they've told me that they've applied that that criteria um, to to stock tips that they've gotten since then, and with with great results. I mean, they they're they're seeing basically what we're talking about. You know, our, our focus on profitability and 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 our our advice to stay away from companies that are just serial destroyers of capital. And you can you can see that very easily when when you follow these five steps. So. That's something that, that's encouraging to me because if we can do this and it avoids, it helps investors avoid risk, unnecessary risk. It helps them avoid losing money. Then, I mean, that's that makes me very happy and that that shows that we're we're doing our job. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gratifying to see that immediate feedback, and we've got a few a few of those just even in the few days following the events, just saying that they've already used some of the criteria that we talked about there and applied it effectively. And you know, it's really great to see that uh, investors are doing that, using that, and uh, finding value in it, obviously, is good to hear. And uh, we're, we're very pleased with these, and we're going to continue these seminars because we believe, and we say that at the start, that an educated investor is uh, a far more effective investor, and that's uh, how we're going to continue to uh, provide education and some strategies through these investing seminars uh, over the coming years. Absolutely. We're going to shift gears a bit and just get into our a couple of mixed bag of topics to start. Um, we saw some volatility in the markets at the end of last week. I think traders, which we don't really trade the market, we're investors long term, but there's a lot of uh, traders looking at uh, the Federal Reserve next week um, where the Fed begins a two-day set of meetings and is expected to raise U.S. rates uh, the federal funds rate uh, by a quarter point uh, Wednesday afternoon. Now, Fed officials uh, should also give a nod to the fact that inflation is weaker than they had expected, but they remain confident about the economy generally. That's what uh, most expect Fed Chair Janet Yellen to talk about. Also, how they could start to pare back the massive $4.5 trillion balance sheet uh, later in this year. Up until Friday, the stock market had a relatively quiet week. Uh, we saw kind of a juxtaposition here at the end of the week where we saw big cap technology, which 
and I'll get into in a second, has performed very well this year, um, come down significantly, but and that led the NASDAQ itself down to just under 2%, uh, the NASDAQ exchange itself. The Dow actually, on the same day, closed at a new high. So there was selective selling there, at least on Friday, and people were putting money to work in financials and some beaten down energy company or energy sector, it looked like. Financials likely because higher rates uh, on a simplistic level probably lead to higher prob- profitability at some of the big banks. We saw big cap tech names, uh, mainly Facebook, Apple, and Amazon, uh, come off uh, in the range of 3.5% each. But I think we have to... Um, we have to really put that those losses on Friday in perspective of what these companies have done all year. If you look at Google or Google's parent Alphabet, uh, it's up 23% year to date, despite the 3.5% loss on Friday. Apple is up 28%, despite the 3.8% loss on Friday. And Facebook, for its part, is up 30%, despite the 3.2% loss we saw on Friday. So when we've seen gains like this, and, and you see, we saw these gains in these three big tech names uh, with lower volatility than the overall market. Now, when you see a, a stock mar- essentially going straight up or a segment in the market going straight up, really a pullback is in order and should be expected. And in fact, the, the three, three and a half percent that we saw from these companies is not really a significant pullback. We would not be surprised to see 10% correction uh, at some point or higher in, in these names. Of the three, I mean, if you look at them, Apple is the only one with a PE below the market average. I think Apple's at 17.5, 17.8. So it's below what we'd say the price to earnings multiple is on the market. Now, the, the names Google and Facebook likely deserve to have a price earnings multiple or cat price to cash flow market above the market because they're growing at a rate above the market. But when you see them grow beyond to an extent where it starts to get a little pricey, then a pullback is um, is in order and uh, is actually natural and probably is healthy long term. So we, we don't see anything under, out of the ordinary in, in a pullback on Friday in these big tech names that have been winners long term. Yeah, often, often when you see companies perform very strongly in the market over a period of time, and then they pull back a little bit, investors will be concerned because they'll think that that marks the end of of, of a trend, and and it may, but it is it is very normal behavior for a stock when it's when it's had a very strong run up to to consolidate at some point and drop a couple percent. In terms of what's happening with these big tech names. Who knows? But you 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 mentioned as well, Ryan Apple, which has the most attractive valuation relative to earnings compared to to that group. And this is something that we hear analysts actually talk about quite a bit because Apple, in spite of it being such such a well known company and and considered a leader in the tech space, has generally always traded at a pretty reasonable valuation relative to earnings. And and the reason for this largely is because um, because it's, it's it's a hardware company. So it's actually yeah. even though it it falls into technology, it is being is being looked at as a hardware or a consumer products company and, and not just a, not a idea company like say something like Facebook or or Alphabet, which um, which is Google. And and that's that's essentially the main. There, there's risk in the in the input costs. There's also concerns that because Apple is so big that they'll have a tough time growing. And and then there's also some people have concerns that 
the post Steve Jobs Apple is is not as innovative as as it once was. But uh, so far, it's 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 been chugging along just fine and and, and producing good solid returns in the market. Yeah, and uh, I mean. The three names there, um, they continue to grow beyond market rates, and we think you're long-term. We'd be very concerned if it wasn't just a pullback on a valuation issue, if it was an underlying business uh, issue that was causing the pullback. We don't see underlying business issues in the businesses. I mean, there's always some little issues, but, I mean, underlying businesses, fundamentals of these companies are, are fine. And uh, we think that, you know, it's a natural to have a pullback after you've had such a strong run in one direction with low volatility. So I wouldn't, I don't see anything out of the ordinary there. Now we're going to move to our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Um, I'm going to let Aaron take a look at uh, a listener question came in on a company called Medical Marijuana Inc. Like I said, the symbol is MJNA. It's on the OTC pink sheets. So they are building a portfolio of investments in the marijuana sector. Aaron, uh, what are your thoughts? Sure, yeah. So this this question was um, was from Brad in Surrey, and he just asked for our opinion on the company and the financial results, which they just released this week. And it's it's good to talk about this because we we get a lot of questions from clients and and from just interested investors about the marijuana industry in particular, given that there's the legalization in some states. Um, in the U.S. and then and then upcoming in Canada, there there seems to be uh, theoretically a lot of opportunity in the space. But of course, we're not just looking at the hype of a business or the hype of a sector. We're looking at the actual financial performance, the actual earnings and cash flow that that the business is actually able to generate. So let's take a look at at Medical Marijuana Inc. The symbol is MJNA. Uh, trades on the pink sheets in the OTC. So. I'll get in. I'll get into that a little bit later. Trades for about ten cents right now. So they just put out their first quarter results this last week, and and revenue growth was great. They they reported three point six million in revenues for the quarter. So that was more than double the one point six million that they reported in the first quarter of last year. Gross profit as well, way up two point five million compared to only eight hundred thousand last year. But it's from here that that the results start to look uh, start to deteriorate for us, anyways. The company reported a net loss in the quarter, 2.2 million. Um, still an improvement from the 11 million of the net loss that they reported in the first quarter of last year. But they also burnt through about $7 million in operating cash flow just in the first quarter alone. And then when we look at the balance sheet, it's not in the greatest shape. Uh, about 14 million in debt, minimal cash, I think about 1.52 million in cash. So with that burn rate and that balance sheet, it looks like the company is going to have to raise money here in the near future at some point. So we, we like the revenue and the gross profit, but to us, this is still a speculative company financially with the negative earnings and cash flow. And there, there's also a couple other things here that that up the risk level for us as well. So I mentioned that, that, that this company is listed on the pink sheets. And for those that aren't familiar with the pink sheets, this is an over-the-counter exchange in the U.S. It has the most minimal reporting requirements. So my understanding is that these companies that trade on the pink sheets are listed on the pink sheets, sorry, that they're not required to, to report financial disclosures. And that, that that's certainly an issue. If you look at Medical Marijuana uh, Inc., the company, it's, it's got a $300 million market cap. So it's, it's fair size in the market when you're just looking at the market cap and it has revenues. So for us to take a company like this seriously, we would like it to, to, to trade 
off the pink sheets and, and on one of the, the more stringent levels of the OTC market um, bulletin board. So there's, there's different levels that you can trade on and, and each level has, has different reporting requirements. So we'd certainly like to see the reporting requirements increased. Another thing, and you know, I know you'll love this, is I was looking at the share count and this company, as I said, 300 million market cap plus 10 cents per share is what it trades for. So 3.6 billion shares outstanding. That is a huge number. We look at some of these small caps, these micro caps, and we see 100 million shares, 200 million shares outstanding, and that's that's already a big number. So 3.6 billion. Um, just to give that some comparison, we talked about Apple earlier. Well, Apple has 5.2 billion out, which is a big number, but this is a 750 billion market cap company in Apple compared to to medical marijuana. So. We'd like to also see a much tighter share structure on that, and uh, certainly there'd be a possibility of, of a rollback some point in the future. Probably be a good decision for them to make. A lot of the times that these, the when you're looking at the share count, uh, in some ways it is somewhat psychological analyzing it, but you you'll, you also have to take into account that um, well, one, there are rules in the United States which limit um, certain it, uh, institutional investors from investing in companies that are considered penny stocks. So a 300 million market cap company, you would, you'd hope to see a tighter share structure so they can get that share price up. Uh, but also, it, it's just going to take a lot of earnings. It, it, they have to generate a lot of earnings in order to produce anything mean, meaningful on a per share basis. So it's just a messy share structure. This is not a company that we, certainly we don't find it investable right now. We would watch it and see what happens given the revenue, but there's there's several several issues that this company would have to address before we would consider it investable at this point. Yeah, I'd agree. Too many issues there. Uh, Aaron went over most of them, right? That um, and trading on an exchange or the area of the exchange that we just really don't touch. Uh, um, it's just it doesn't. It's more pure speculation the, to us than investment quality at this point, and. Uh, We'd look elsewhere in that segment and uh, just on a different exchange, likely, um, uh, to find a better company at this page. Now we're going to move on to our star of the week. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. That comes from Keystone's small cap Canadian coverage. The company is called Sandvine Corporation. SVC is the symbol on the TSX. <clears throat> the shares jumped uh, 22% this past week to around the 386 level after it announced it received a bid to be acquired at $3.80 by a company called Vector Capital or an affiliate of Vector Capital. So what does Sandvine do? They are a network equipment company based in Waterloo, Canada. Um, and they have network policy control products that are designed to implement on broadband network policies, ranging from the they use they're used in the creation of billing, congestion management, uh, and security and service creation. So we we covered the company originally from around the three dollar range. So the return uh, here up 25 percent this past week. Is good to see finally recognizing some value that's been here. Uh, we're not really surprised to see a takeover bid, given the fact this company has what we call a fortress balance sheet. There's a ton of cash sitting in here, well over a dollar per cash per share in cash, 
and no debt. Uh, they've had questionable growth execution that we believe from the management team. So it's not surprising to see you match that balance sheet, a good solid cash flowing business with some questionable execution on management's front in terms of growth. Uh, we're happy though to see that some growth or that the, the underlying fundamentals of the business are being recognized and some of the values being recognized here. But there is a case to be made that the current offer is opportunistic and on the low side. In this respect, their uh, National Bank and TD, who cover the stock, chimed in this past week uh, for its part, National Bank. Uh, still has a target on the stock of 450, despite the fact that the offer is in at three dollars and eighty cents, so significantly higher than where the offer is. The report itself stated that they would not rule out the potential potential for Sandvine receiving another offer as high as say five dollars per share. Uh, according to their analysis at Nashville or at National, sorry. Um, $5 per share uh, would equate to 13.8 times enterprise value to EBITDA on their estimates for 2017. I mean, that seems like a relatively reasonable number. TD also came in and raised its target to 450, the same target that you're seeing at Nashville. They think a strategic buyer could offer significantly more than $3.80. Um, so, you know, there's... Two, two analysts coming out there and saying that they believe a, another offer could be in the offing. Both reports, I believe, hold valid analysis and conclude an offer in the range of 450 would appear, and we would say it's not out of the question, a multiple that National talked about in the range of 13.8 times enterprise value to their fiscal 2017 EBITDA is not unreasonable. Although... There is some uncertainty as to whether Sandvine can hit Nationals' 2017 EBITDA target. Now, having said this, we've definitely seen software slash hardware entities, which uh, Sandvine plays in both segments here, in the past purchased for higher multiples than 13.8 times enterprise value to EBITDA. So at this point, we'd have to wait to see uh, whether another realistic bidder, bidder comes in. There is a go shop period here in this offer. It's about 42 days. We're a couple weeks into that right now. To hit the 450 target, a bidder would have to pony up around 600 million, although 160 million is sitting there in cash. So the net figure would be close to four, 440 million. At this point, uh, the stock is the bid is at 380. The stock is trading slightly above that at 386. The market is anticipating potentially another offer, but of course that offer means nothing until it actually hits the books or it comes out. So at this point, we think it's prudent to continue to hold Sandvine. Uh, we've, if you're a long-term patient holder here, you're going to see a good return either from the vector bid, which is at 380, the, your only loss would be about five cents there. Uh, there could be a superior bid over the next uh, month. If we see that, uh, we'll likely hold to see if we can uh, see and capitalize on a higher bid. If not, we're happy to take the 380 and move our capital where we uh, see a, a more effective management team. You never go broke taking a profit.
No, and in this case, we're going to make a profit, which is good. There's a potential for a superior bid here. So we think it's prudent to hold on to the stock over the next uh, month or so. And uh, if there is a superior bid, uh, we'll look at that and likely uh, recommend a tender to that bid. Okay, now we're going to move on to our dog of the week. Aaron's got that one. We're going to talk about New York Stock Exchange listed company, IDT Corporation, is symbol as IDT on the NYSE. It lost around 21% in one day this past week after the company reported revenue growth, but the business swung to a loss in its Q3. That's hit by, it was hit by a charge for a legal settlement. Aaron, I'm going to let you handle that one. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Dog. Sure, I've got the dog as well. I feel so negative today because the the your stock our take was was not a great assessment either. And now I've got the dog, so just that's fits right. your personality. We'll, we'll have to find. Yeah, it's my personality. We'll have to find something <laughs> more positive for me next week. Anyways, we uh, so as Ryan said, the the dog of the week, IDT Corporation, trades for about fourteen fifty per share on the on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol IDT. So. What do they do? They provide telecommunications and payment services to individuals and businesses, um, primarily through its flagship Boss Revolution and Nectophone brand. So the company's wholesale business, it's a leading, they refer to themselves as a leading global carrier of international long distance calls. Um, as Ryan said, stock dropped 21% after the release of their financial results. It's It recovered a little bit at the end of the week, so down about 16% on the week, but still, this makes, I believe this makes it the biggest decliner on the New York Stock Exchange over, over this last week. Um, so they, they released their third quarter fiscal 2017 results. Revenues were up about 4%, but gap earnings went from uh, positive 19 cents per share in the, in the third quarter of last year. It swung to a, a net loss of negative 21 cents per share. Um, Non-GAAP earnings were positive for the quarter. They were $0.28 cents per share, but they were still down 26% compared to the previous year. So for those not familiar, when I, when I use terms like GAAP and non-GAAP, um, we'll just discuss that a little bit. So GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles. So, so these are basically the, these are the accounting principles that, um, that the companies have to adhere to when they're, when they're reporting their, their financials down in the U.S. So they're, they're basically just, they're, they're a set of rules. That um, that essentially indicate how companies can can calculate earnings from their financial statements. So what what qualifies as an expense, what qual qualifies as, as revenues, and whatnot. Um, we we had gap up here in Canada until several years ago. Now we have something called IFRS, International Financial Reporting Standards. Basically the same thing, just just different standards. They're just a set of rules. So um, what these rules tend to be fairly rigid. So in, in some cases, what you will have when you're reporting GAAP or IFRS earnings is you'll have a lot of different items in there that don't really reflect the financial performance of the company. So for instance, you know, if they were to make a sale of an asset and took a, a non-cash loss or non-cash gain, that doesn't really show the profitability of that quarter, but that's still something under the standards that has to go in there. And there's other things as well in terms of if they retire debt early, um, if there's, there's foreign exchange um, gains or losses. So often what companies will do is they will adjust these earnings and that's, that's, they will adjust them to take out what they figure to be um, meaningless items that, that, that somewhat cloud 
the the perception of the profitability or the financial performance for that particular quarter. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, it's it's absolutely necessary to do. We adjust earnings all the time. Um, but essentially, that is what it is. So GAAP or just the generally accepted accounting principles are just the, the, the stringent rules. And then non-GAAP is basically the company saying, we're going to make these adjustments to actually better reflect the economic reality of, of that period. So it's absolutely fine to do that, but you need to know how the company is adjusting those numbers because there are no real standards when it comes to adjusting the numbers. They can just do it any way that they want, any way that they think is best for their individual business. And if they're doing it properly, they should show you um, inside the financial statements or in the press release exactly how they're getting from their gap earnings to their non-gap earnings um, so that you can see if those adjustments are reasonable or not. Um, but anyways, enough enough with that. Uh, the, the results obviously were, were quite poor. Certainly on the earnings line, there, there weren't any real clear explanations in the press release about why earnings declined and what needs to be done to turn growth positive. There was some discussion, general discussion. It looks like they're doing some streamlining of the business and maybe some uh, slight operational restructuring. But if you look at the historical performance of the company, the general trend has been for lower revenues over the past three to four years. So it's, it's, it seems like it's, it's certainly not a growing business potentially declining business. They do pay a nice dividend right now, and they trade it at a fairly attractive valuation relative to their, their non-GAAP earnings. So, you know, somewhere around 10 to, to 13 times or 11 to 13 times earnings, which in the U.S. market, if they were a growing company, then then that would be, we would consider that fairly attractive and something to look at. But in this case, uh, you know, regardless of what the valuation is, there don't seem to be any clear catalysts for growth. There don't seem to be any visible growth plans. So what we see here is, is declining financial performance and, and no clear reason why we would invest in the stock. So this, this makes it the dog of the week. Yeah, I think that sums, sums it up effectively. Again, Aaron, I'd like to thank you for co-hosting with me this week. Thank you. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to uh, for sure, I'd like to remind everybody you can follow us on Twitter at Keystocks or on Facebook. And remind you to keep your questions coming in to our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Uh, we welcome those every week. We're getting a ton of, uh, of submissions, but we uh, always need more. Now, again, come in with your ideas for our upcoming seg seminar series. We're looking at uh, do-it-yourself investing in this fall. Uh, our initial topic right now are Canadians looking at U.S. stocks, how many to buy, what type of stocks to buy and how to buy them in the U.S. market and some strategies uh, for bu Canadians buying U.S. stocks. So that would be an initial topic. Any other topics that you'd like us to discuss, feel free to tweet or email those or uh, post those on Facebook as your suggestions, and we'll take those under advisement. Thank you again for listening and profitable investing. Profitable investing.